Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 22 on how God had prepared a time for just Abraham and Isaac, and how God prepared a time just for God and David against Goliath, and how God the Father prepared a time for Jesus the Son for the cross. Now, we have two resources of the month that we want to offer to you for your support of the Friendship with God radio program with a donation of $10 or more. And the two resources are from Tom Cantor, How a Jew Learned the True Meaning of Christmas, and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In How a Jew Learned the True Meaning of Christmas, Tom Cantor uses the boat story to weave in the Christmas gospel message on how he as a Jew learned the true meaning of Christmas. And in our second resource, How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Tom Cantor gives a deeper account of his own personal struggle with coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, both booklets are yours as our resource of the month. They're great witnessing tools to reach your lost Jewish and Gentile friends with. So call us now with a donation of $10 or more of support to the Friendship with God radio program at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God, teaching us from Genesis chapter 22 today. So as he turns to make this last trip to Jerusalem and saw what was going to happen to him there, he saw that in Jerusalem, what all is going to happen, maybe he reaches his hand back on his back. And he thinks to himself, this is going to be the last time I feel this back hole. Because in Jerusalem, this back is going to be lacerated. Maybe, maybe he strokes his beard. you know. Maybe he strokes his beard and he feels it for the last time. And he says to himself, I know that these hairs are going to be pulled out in Jerusalem. Maybe he feels his face and he says to himself, I know I'm going to be spit on. I know shame is going to be poured on me. And knowing all this. He turns to his disciples and he uses one word to explain why, why he's taking this last trip to Jerusalem. And it's the word must. And that's what he used in Mark 8.31 when it says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, or if you like, and must be rejected of the elders and of the the chief priests and scribes and be killed, or if you like, and must be killed and after three days rise again, or if you like, and after three days must rise again. This must, this must part of it all. He saw it was a must for him to suffer for man, for the sins of man. It was a must for him to be rejected because of the sins of man. It was a must for him to be killed for the sins of man. It was a must for him to rise again for man. So when it was the time for the Lord Jesus Christ to face his adversary, the devil. You know, if you ever think of the the cross, it was like a big boxing ring. It was a big box. It was a contest that went on in there in Mount Calvary. And so the Lord Jesus Christ sets his face like a flint. And after that boxing ring battle at the cross, God the Father holds up the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and says, The winner! Here's the winner. So when it says this, Genesis 22, verse 4, then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, we can see in Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's on the road of sorrows, it's been named, the Via Dolorosa, the road of sorrows that leads up to Mount Calvary, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees Mount Calvary, and what we see in Abraham in this verse is a man who broke through all the obstacles all the difficulties that he had in front of him to offer his son, 
And he lifts up his eyes and he sees the place. And what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Calvary is a man, again, who breaks through all the obstacles, all the difficulties. He's going to lay his life down on the cross. And so when it says in verse 4, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place far off, we just feel in Abraham this battle that he has of this temptation to say, it's over the top, it's too much, game's over, I can't do this. And what we see and we remember when the Lord Jesus Christ came and sort of lifted up his eyes, and this time he sees a cup. He sees a cup of our sins, and he battles against the temptation to say the same thing. I'm over. This is done. And it said, but it says the battle is portrayed for us, is described for us in Matthew 26, 20, 38 through 39, where it says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He said, what I see, I'm ready to die from just the sight of it. Tarry ye here, watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy wilt. It says in a little bit, verse 42 of Matthew 26, he went again, the second time, and prays the same thing, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And it says, it describes for us in Luke twenty-two forty-four with that scene, it says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground, down to the ground. Not little tiny drops, but big drops of blood comes off his forehead and falls to the ground. That's our Savior. That's him. When, like Abraham, he lifts up his eyes, he sees up the far off, the Lord Jesus Christ lifts up his eyes, he sees the cup, he doesn't turn away from the awfulness to have to drink the cup of our sins to save us from our sins. Now we come to verse 5, and we see that the time has come now for Abraham to go with Isaac up the hill. This is going to be the time of the father and the son. And Abraham now looks at the young men who, you know, they were there. They accompanied them on the trip. You know, they were the men. They carried everything. They did all the work. They set up the camp. They broke down the camp. They prepared the meals and so forth. And so he turns to these young men. These young men are very interesting because they're in the scene right now. And he turns to these young men and he thinks to himself, should these young men go up with us to Mount Calvary? He asks himself this question. Should they come? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This was going to be a time for Abraham and Isaac and God alone. And they wouldn't understand. So we see Abraham now turning to these young men. These young men are very important in this scene. In verse 5, and he turns to them, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. They must not go with him and Isaac. It's imperative. They must not go. This was a time only for just Abraham and Isaac and God. And there is a sense in which it was going to be this very private time between Abraham and Isaac and God. And everyone else was excluded. Everyone else was excluded. That reminds us of the time when the Lord Jesus Christ was offered for our sins. Everyone saw the Lord Jesus Christ as he was being nailed to the cross. And then there came a time when all were shut out and there was really only left God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who was representing man. So just as in Genesis 22.5 when Abraham shut out the young men by telling them, you stay here, you abide here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder. There was a time on the cross 
when God says you are being shut out. Everybody is being shut out. This was a time when man was shut out. And that was the time when all the men were excluded. And that was the time when only God the Father and only God the Son, as man representing man, when he became our sacrifice, that time is described for us in Matthew 27, verse 45 to 46. It says, Now, from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was this darkness that came over the land. And in that darkness, it was like God was excluding everybody else. A very, very private time between just God the Father and God the Son who had become a man. Because after all, it was God's law that had been broken. It was God's law that needed to be satisfied. And long ago, God had said that he was looking for a man. He was looking for a man that could stand between sinful man and an angry God. And he stated this in Ezekiel 22.30 where he said, I sought, or I looked for, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge that should stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none, God says. So God said, I was looking for a man, I found none. So for our sakes, that was a tragedy. That was tragic. It was tragic for us when in our sins, God said, I am looking for a man to stand in between me and you. And God is saying that his righteousness had to be satisfied. And so he's asking, who's the man? Where is the man who's going to satisfy all the judgment of God that we deserved. And so God looked for a man, he calls us standing in the hedge, dying for our sins, and since all men were guilty of their own sin, God didn't find any man who was suitable. And just to understand how desperate this need was, I want you to think, and there's an analogy here, so don't extend it any farther. People always do that. We always do that. We always extend the analogies too far. But anyway, don't use it anyways. So think of the time when Goliath stood and defied Israel, and they were being, the Jewish people were being threatened into a mass total extermination at that time. And that was a time when Israel was going to be totally destroyed if they did not find a man. And this challenge kept coming from the mouth of Goliath, as it says in 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 11, when it says about Goliath, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why do you come out to set your battle in array? Not I, a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul. And then he said this, Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. I'll, if I prevail against him, kill him, then you'll be our servants to serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man, he says, that we may fight together. Choose out a man. Give me a man. And Saul and Israel heard all those words in the Philistine, and they were dismayed. They were and greatly afraid, confused and afraid. Israel heard Goliath's challenge when he says, choose a man for you, Goliath says to Israel. Give me a man, Goliath says to Israel. Israel knew that they, if they could not choose out a man to fight for them, they'd be destroyed. Israel knew that if they could not give a man to fight for them, they'd be destroyed. We knew that if we could not choose out a sinful man to die for our sins, we'd be destroyed, like Israel. 
we knew that if we could not, if we couldn't choose, if we couldn't give God a sinless man to die for us, we'd be destroyed. So Israel looks for a man. They couldn't find a man. We look for a man to stand in the hedge, die for our sins. And since all men were guilty like us of their own sins, we say we can't find a man. And when Israel could not find a man to save them from Goliath, that was terrible for them. And when we can't find a man to die for our sins, that's terrible for us. But when Israel chose out their man, they chose out their David, then Israel found their man, and it was David. They didn't have a lot of confidence in him, but that's okay. (laughs) And Israel's man, David, stood before Goliath, and Goliath didn't have any confidence either. Goliath says in 1 Samuel 17, 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He is a, but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. Looks like a little mama's boy. He says, who are you sending me here? But with Israel, it was terrible. Like with Israel, it was terrible for us until we found our man. And he stepped forward to save us. We found our man the Lord Jesus Christ, and God, God who had become a man for us. He is our David. And so as our man, the Lord Jesus Christ steps forward, and we say to God, we found our man. Here's our man. He'll stand for us in the hedge between us uh, sinners and you an angry God. And when God saw the Lord Jesus Christ step forward, then he says, I have found the man that I was looking for. He will stand in the hedge between God and sinful men. And so it's good for us to remember Israel's desperate state as a picture of our desperate state as God says to us, send me a man, send me a man to die for your sins. And we thought, where are we going to find a sinless man to die for our sins? And we're forced to say to God, we can't find a man to die for our sins. We looked for a man to die for our sins. We couldn't find that man. Then came Pilate's declaration. As he stood there and he looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, he's wearing the crown of thorns, he's all bloodied from the whipping, and Pilate says in John 19.5, Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Now that's interesting. Pilate looks at the Lord Jesus Christ wearing the crown of thorns, and he says, Behold the man. Behold the man. And we realize that when we see him, that we found our man. So we say to God, we found our man. So Pilate says, behold the man. And we say to God, behold our man. And there's a world of difference. When we preach the gospel, we preach like Pilate, behold the man. See? The difference between a lost sinner and a saved sinner is in that word. Is it the or our? With Pilate, is it behold the man or is it behold it's my man? Or our man. Salvation's all wrapped up in the change of that word from behold the man to behold our man. So we say to God, we found our man we were looking for to stand in the gap between us and God and die for our sins. Behold our man. And again, like Israel in their desperate state of not being able to meet the challenge and having no response, God has said to us, send me a man who will become a lamb and die for your sins. And so we look for a man who would become a lamb and die for our sins. We say we come up empty. We can't do that. But then John the Baptist, he makes this great declaration in John 1.29 where it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
We'll return with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program in just a moment. As you know, Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. As a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Tom Cantor has a heart to reach his lost Jewish brethren, and so does the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to reach his lost Jewish brethren as well, too. And Israel Restoration Ministries has reached millions of lost Jewish people around the world, from the U.S. to South America to Israel. And Tom Cantor wants to invite you to support Jewish evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries and the Friendship with God radio program. By your support, you'll help to reach lost Jewish people with free gospel gifts so that they, too, might be saved. So call us now or after the program with your donation of support in reaching lost Jewish people, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. So John says again, like Pilate, behold the Lamb. And when John said that, we said, well, we own him. We take him as our own. So he's not behold the Lamb, he's behold our Lamb. And so salvation, again, is all wrapped up in whether it's behold the Lamb or behold our Lamb. Because God made this emphasis to them, uh, the Passover in Exodus 12, 3, when he told Moses, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the 10th day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. And then that lamb became his lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Every man had to choose out his own lamb. And that's man's decision. That's not God's decision. That's man's decision. God presents the lamb of God, but then that's man's decision. You're going to make that my lamb. And God didn't make that choice back in Passover in Israel. God did not make the choice for man, which lamb. And God does not make the man's choice for him whether to choose the Lord Jesus Christ or not. That's 100% man's choice as to which lamb he would choose at the Passover time. That's 100% man's choice as to whether or not he's going to select the Lord Jesus Christ as his lamb. And after each man had made a selection of the Lord Jesus Christ as his man, as his lamb, after each man had pointed... Like in Israel, that's my lamb right there. And after each man then points to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, Behold my man, behold my lamb. And then the Lord Jesus Christ goes into the presence of God as man's representative to be alone with God and with no man present as he did for man when he worked out the offering of himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And this concept is what we're talking about here when Abraham says you men are excluded. This concept of being alone with God to do the work of redemption, that's seen in the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle, the high priest, he went in on one day per year, in the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, once a year to make an atonement for the sins of man, as it says in Exodus 30, verse 10. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns uh, once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make the atonement upon it throughout your generations. It's most holy unto the, uh, to the Lord. See, once a year, Aaron alone. Emphasis on the fact that the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle once a year alone. And that's picked up, that emphasis is picked up in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, where it says, but into the second, in other words, into the Holy of Holies, into the second went the high priest alone, it says, once every year. Not without blood, but which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. See, into the second went the high priest alone once every year. So that Yom Kippur work, and that's what it was. That making atonement work, 
That's what it was. For the sins of men was a work for the high priest to be done alone with God. And there was no one else with the high priest when he went to do that atonement work. He was alone with God. And when Abraham came to Mount Moriah and offered Isaac, he says to the young men, you stay here. We're going up alone. That was a work for Abraham and Isaac to do alone, and the others were excluded. And those young men had to wait at the base of Mount Moriah to see if Abraham and Isaac would return. And the people of Israel could not come into the Holy of Holies. They had to wait outside the tabernacle to see if their offering had been received and accepted. And you know the story about how the tradition says that they tied a rope around the leg, the ankle of the high priest as he went in, because if he was destroyed, they had a way to pull the body out. And all the people had to wait in darkness at the cross to find out if the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ had been accepted by God. It was only at the end of that time of darkness that he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so it's in that darkness that they, that, that, that they heard the cry of the sinless man and the sinless lamb who made his soul an offering for sin, as it says in Isaiah 53.10. And in that darkness, man's excluded. That's the reason why it's so significant that Abraham excludes these young men from going up with him into the mount with Isaac. Now the time has come for Abraham to explain to these young men that what he and Isaac are going to do. So, you know, Abraham's thinking, how am I going to explain this to the man what I'm about to do? You know, he couldn't say, I'm going to go kill my son and offer him for a burnt offering. He knew they would never understand that. And he couldn't lie to them about what he was going to do. You know, this was not going to be Sarah's my sister uh, routine again. So he thinks to himself, I've got to be honest. I've got to be truthful. So it's going to be just me and Isaac that are going to go leave. So he starts off and he says, I and the lad will go yonder. Then Abraham thinks, well, what can I tell them? And he reviews in his mind and he thinks to himself, what are we really going to do on Mount Moriah? And what's the essence of what's going to happen there on Mount Moriah? And he thinks to describe what he and Isaac are going to do. And there's only one word. There's just one word that comes to his mind. Worship. He said, we're going to go there and worship. I and Isaac are going to go worship God on Mount Moriah. He sees it all as worship. The whole thing's worship. Abraham sees himself as he's going to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah as worship. This is worship. And I give up my son. I'm worshiping the Lord. And whenever we give to God, what really costs us, it's worship. It's an act of worship. King David, when he was faced with having to make an offering to God, and he needed a threshing floor and he needed oxen, and he comes to Aruna. And Aruna says to the king, I'll give it to you. You take the fleshing for the oxen, you know, take it. And King David protests. He says, no. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, the king said unto Aruna, nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. He said, I won't do it. So he bought it and it was 50 shekels of silver. So David thought of offering to God when it doesn't cost me anything. No. The more it costs, the more worship there is behind it. Why? Because giving is an act of worship. What about Isaac? Abraham saw what Isaac was about to do as an act of worship also. Abraham knew that he could not sacrifice Isaac unless Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. Abraham's over 100 years old. Isaac's probably around 30. He's a young man. Could have easily flung him off of that mountain. Isaac could have done to Abraham. Abraham looks at Isaac and he says, I see, I see in my son a willing sacrifice. And he says, that willingness is worship. It's worshiping God. That's true for us. When we give ourselves to God, like Isaac does, we become a sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we present our bodies to God, that's an act of worship and a living sacrifice. When we sacrifice by saying, I'm not going to let the world squeeze me into its mold, that's an act of worship. When we say, I'm going to give my mind to God to be transformed, to be, to be renewing of my mind, that's an act of worship. So he tells the young man, we're going to go worship. Now, what Abraham was saying to the young man, the young men there, was that I and the lab are going to go yonder. I and the lad are going to worship. I and the lad are going to return to you again. That's the way the Hebrew reads. Literally, we will return, come back to you again. Now, why did Abraham say, we will going to come back to you again? Because that's what Abraham was expecting. And that, that pronoun, we, and we will come to you again, is what the book of Hebrews picks up on and emphasizes in Hebrews eleven nineteen when it says, accounting that God was able to raise him, Isaac, up, even from the dead. Another great study into the life of Abraham here on the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Now, if you're enjoying the Friendship with God radio program and you'd like to listen to more messages by Tom Cantor on Friendship with God, you can do so by going to iTunes.com and downloading free messages just by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, you can also download and listen to messages for free by going online to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Again, all the messages are there for free listening, free download, and they're made available for free because of you and your support of the Friendship with God radio program because the broadcast and the podcast would not be available without your support of Friendship with God and Tom Cantor. Now, again, this is a unique Bible teaching radio program, teaching on the Old Testament, and Tom Cantor has a way of just bringing it to life. And if you're enjoying this Bible teaching radio program and want to continue to hear it, we need your support and your help. So donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, or you can call us at 800-247-3051, 3051. We can also give you our mailing address or set you up to be a monthly supporter of Friendship with God. So again, that number is 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow on Friendship with God.